Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 7th, 2013. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And it's the Around the Nation podcast where we go around the nation and podcast about Division Three football. The week that was, that was week five. And the week that will be, hump week, week six of the Division Three football season. And week five found us still with, uh, I think Keith counted up, 34 unbeaten teams and a, uh, a nearly similar number of winless teams. And we'll talk about a little bit of each of those categories. But I, I thought that um, right here at the top, we would uh, recognize what we recognize right at the top of the website on Saturday evening as well. And that is North Park getting off uh, 13 years of the schneid. Uh, having won a college conference at Illinois and Wisconsin game for the first time since October of 2000 as they defeated Carthage 22-20 to on Saturday. Quite a homecoming, especially for people who sat through the lightning delays and all the rain and everything. They got to witness something that uh, not a lot of people have witnessed in recent years. Well, no, not at all. You know, North Park is a program that's, uh, you know, they haven't gone winless very often on that stretch, but just they they w- would win a, a you know a couple of early games. Sometimes you know their first three games, and then they would go on to lose all seven games in the CCIW uh, slate. And it, and it happened you know year after year from 2000 to to the point Pat where on Saturday when the when the result came in, I remembered not only the uh, the month and year of of the game, but the score and the fact that it was at Elmhurst because we'd referenced it so many times and around the nation over the years when we talked about long losing streaks or or uh, you know programs on having hard luck or whatever. So it was um you know it it was certainly cool to see and I thought that was almost the the scene the theme of Saturday that so many programs who'd been hard luck programs over the years finally got a day to sh- to shine or a day in the sun or however you want to say it. But yeah, you know the 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 fact that you know freshmen would have been five years old, or you know players making key plays in the game, or in grade school uh, at the the last time North Park won a conference game, that makes it pretty significant. So North Park was actually the subject of a uh, of a column in the I think the Chicago Tribune this weekend too. Michael Conway, the uh, new head coach there, who had been uh, an assistant at a Division two school, has previous head coaching ex- experience. And the part of the basis of the story was people talking to him or him relating the stories of how people said to him, you could never win there. Why would you go there? And yet, I don't know, you know, when we went through and reviewed, for example, the predictions that Jason Bailey, our CCIW writer, did for kickoff this year, and he had... Uh, North Park winning a conference game and defeating Carthage back in, uh, you know, back in our August and July predictions, I thought, well, you know, not impossible. Because what he was doing was bringing with him uh, his son to play quarterback and another son to play wide receiver. And, you know, it it often seemed like North Park would be in a position where they might wear down at the end of the game. Um, they'd, they'd been competitive in some games recently. Um, you know, they tried the triple option offense to try to shorten the game a little bit, and that didn't obviously didn't quite get them over the top. But it always seemed like North Park was just on the verge of maybe being able to to snap that losing streak. And and sometimes all it takes is a couple of a uh, couple or three players like that. And remember that Conway was coming from a from a Division two school, so he obviously had uh, some talent uh, that uh, with his uh, with his sons to bring with him. Yeah, Pat, well, when people are saying you can't win there, though, they're saying that big picture. 
you know, can you build a sustainable program? Can you win championships? I mean, you know, I suppose the- I suppose that's true. But you know, they did go 13 years without winning a conference game. So the, in the in the micro as well as the macro view, you could probably make both of those arguments. Well, sure, and and it's it's impressive that it didn't take him long. First, his first CCIW game, uh, Conway as coach. You know, he he t- beat Carthage, and you know, so that that is impressive to to a degree. And I think. You know the thing now is is this going to be a a, a one week thing or is this going to be a sustainable turnaround? Can he take? You know he's not going to have his sons to coach forever, so can he spin this into making North Park a competitive? You know even just a mid level CCIW team rather than the team that that goes zero and seven in that conference every year. Pat, you and I have been to that campus. We've been to that complex. It's uh it, it's nice. You know it's not the 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 nicest, but and it, it's right in the city of Chicago. So you'd think. Okay, it's not, you know, you have a nice recruiting area, but that you could probably speak to this better than I could. North Park is a, is a unique school and it it struck me as interesting because when we've when we've seen teams fail to have success in conferences and then bolt for another conference and, and North Park never left in the CCIW even after these 13 years of uh, of not being able to win. Can can you talk a little bit about how North Park is in other sports? competitive in the CCIW and uh, and why that's a unique campus to try to get recruits to come to? Yeah, I would say among the sports that we cover heavily here at D3sports.com, they are, uh, they're better than competitive in men's soccer. In men's soccer, they are, uh, you know, maybe not as much the last couple years, but uh, traditionally they've been a conference contender. And that's, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a bit of a departure compared to the other sports. Um, they've been fairly competitive in baseball uh, off and on. Um, and you know, I couldn't even tell you about some of the other sports. I know that, uh, neither basketball team has been uh, particularly competitive anytime, basically in the last decade. Um, and it's really been, it's been a while since, uh, since they've been competitive in, in men's basketball. I think the, the things that you're referring to Keith, yeah, they're, they're in the heart of the city. Well, not in the heart of the city, but they're in the city. Um, you would think that in general, Maybe you're in a position to draw from the Chicago Public League or the Chicago Catholic League, but you know North Park is not the kind of institution that draws uh, that draws those kids. I am venturing out of my comfort zone, but I'm just going to say I think they're uh, uh, affiliated with the Covenant Church, if I'm not mistaken. And somebody just you know shout out if I'm wrong, but basically um, they draw more from. Uh, more from the the followers of that church rather than from Chicago land at large. It's kind of like if you picture how Wheaton is not really a uh, doesn't really draw from the local Chicago land as much as they draw from um, you know from from their uh, supporters across the uh, across the country. Uh, North Park is similar without as much success, without as much to draw from, and it's not a school that's you know particularly blessed with. Um, a large endowment either. So they've definitely struggled, uh, you know, athletically for quite some time. Yeah. So uh, it, it'll be a, a big challenge to, to turn this one week of success into long-term success, but I think it's pretty cool to see, you know, we, we oh, have followed this long enough now that we get a little excited when we see teams that have just had hard luck for years or, or just haven't been able to break through, um, you know, when they finally get a chance to shine, you know, we, I guess, 
when you're a diehard supporter of one team or one school, it, it, you know, it's easy to lock in on that and, and look away from everyone else. But you and I, because we take this bird's eye view, sometimes we get excited for all, all the teams who, uh, who haven't had success when they finally get a chance to, to you know, get a W. It was a couple of years ago when North Park had its, uh, its last big flirtation with winning game, uh, a conference game. They lost by three at Augustana. They lost by three at home to Carthage. Um, you know, they have, uh, they have a road trip to Milliken in the second to last week of the season, uh, road trip to Augustana a couple weeks before that, uh, they have a home game against Elmhurst in between, you know, obviously when you think about the fact that the other three games in the conference are Illinois, Wesley, North central and Wheaton, uh, North park doesn't have, a uh, you know, a, much of a big chance of winning any of those games, but the other three, Augustana, Elmhurst or Milliken, they might be able to pick one of those off as well. Yeah, well, you mentioned, though, the, the way the CCIW is almost year after year. You have North Park and Wheaton at the top, and, and whether it's uh, Elmhurst or, or Illinois Wesleyan or Augustana also being competitive, you know, with seven, eight win teams, um, it, it's not an easy conference to be successful in. And so, you know, one or two or three wins in, in the first year here for Michael Conway would be pretty impressive. At the very least, it's uh, something for them to build on, and they can all, you know, everybody can go home and talk about uh, how great that win was, and they can, uh, you know, the the kids can think, you know, what part of what part they played in history, and whoever stuck around for the uh, for the final gun of that game uh, when it was twenty two to twenty can, uh, uh, you know, can brag about that to their grandchildren. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Sorry. Um, some of the other games that went on on Saturday, there were only another 115 or so, and we will talk about each one of them in excruciating detail, um, you know, when we have a 12-hour show uh, to, to share them all with you with. Otherwise, you have yeah. to uh, stick with uh, what we're able to give you here. We thought we would run down some of the surprise unbeaten teams, um, so we might just uh, take a quick shift from North Park to a team that they played a couple of weeks ago, last week, in fact, uh, Olivet was a team that, you know, is five and zero. They uh, for the first time since nineteen uh, sixties, and you know, for a team that was zero and ten, one and nine, zero and ten, zero and ten, the last four years. Even if, you know, even though the the five teams that they've beaten, uh, you know, might have a combined record at the end of the season of you know winning percentage of somewhere in the two hundreds. It's still to go five and zero against anybody, considering where they've been the last five years, is pretty uh, is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean we we talked about North Park having twelve consecutive years of of, of not winning a conference game, eighty nine uh, consecutive conference losses. You know, on this in Olivet's case, it's been five seasons, two wins. Okay, and now and then you start a season off with five wins. You're right, Pat. It doesn't really matter who you beat in that in that sense. You know, maybe when you and I cast our top twenty five ballots, we're looking at who they played. But for Olivet, it's it's just about getting the program back on the right on the right foot, getting the kids to believe again. And I watched probably way too much of, of Olivet's game with Alma because I you know because I was so interested in Alma's schedule and, and then the game had a you know, was was broadcast on Ustream. And um, and we love you stream here at d3sports.com. <laughs> it, it was close in the end, so I ended up watching that game, and and it it was the way it ended was was um, interesting in, in a lot of ways. Olivet drives down the field uh, and and goes ahead in the final minute with something like fifty four forty seven seconds left in the game, and then misses the PAT. So the score made it thirteen to ten. 
And uh, instead of 14-10, which it should have been at that point, it's 13-10, which keeps Alma in the game. Alma uh, has a short kickoff. Alma returns it to the 50, couple plays, uh, you know, gets in field goal range, drive stalls out. They kick a 47-yard field goal with three seconds left and uh, to tie the game and go into overtime. And so to me, even though Olivet goes on to win in overtime, the story of that to me is here's this program who's made these kind of mistakes, and those kind of mistakes have cost them games, you know, for years, you know, clearly for for the for for five years but they haven't been all close games obviously but that those you know missing a pat in a key situation is the type of mistake that that a team that is one and nine oh and ten tends to make and and that demoralizes you or you you know i thought on saturday them taking that game into overtime and still being able to pull it out shows you a little bit how far that program has, has come just in these past four weeks starting off with four wins you know they were in a tight game they needed to come from behind and win they gave up a tying score at, at the you know almost at the final gun and were still able to pull that game out in overtime so you know you, you talk about the quality of those wins it's just the the for a program to be doing it repetitively and to be able to believe in itself you know a lot of these these wins by the comets Three of them, in fact, have been close games. Uh, they beat Wisconsin Lutheran and North Park 14 to 10. And then, and then you know, the, the Alma win in overtime was 20 to 13 final score. So they, they're, they're getting used to winning. And I think, you know, that's a cliche, but it also is something that I think really does rub off on, on players and programs once you make it a habit. Uh, there are 34 unbeaten teams as this, uh, as this week starts. You know, a bunch of them obviously are in the top 25. There are a handful that are receiving top 25 votes who aren't in the top 25. And, you know, I think there are some where, uh, where voters on those specific teams might be waiting to see when they play the best team in their conference, how that game turns out, or just kind of playing a, a wait-and-see attitude. And then there are a handful of others where, uh, in my mind, uh, I think almost no matter what they do on their schedule, there's not much of a chance of them making the top 25 um and there are a couple of them uh, that we'll talk about, and we'll talk about some of the other category teams that could, um, you know, that could break through and maybe just haven't played the the best part of their competition yet. Um, and I wanted to start with, I think, someone in the, I don't remember which category was the former and which one was the latter. So let's talk about, for example, Greenville. Greenville at five and zero. Uh, and four and zero in the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. The reason that Greenville is of interest to me um, is because they had a, a pretty tumultuous off season. You know, uh, Ordell Walker left pretty late in the summer to go take a uh, uh, to take a head coaching job elsewhere. Um, they're starting running back uh, Emmanuel Gamble, Manny Gamble. You might have read him about him on the site last week. Um, he was diagnosed with a heart condition, and then was so obviously he was out for the season out for the rest of his career. Um, and yet, you know, they came out and beat Milliken at the, for the first week of the season. And, you know, Milliken may not be a contender in the CCIW, but Greenville had never really been competitive with, uh, with Milliken before. And they've kind of methodically run through the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the UMAC games that they've played so far. Um, they played Morris uh, and beat them pretty handily. And I thought Morris was going to be fairly decent this year. They beat Eureka, Martin Luther and crown. Uh, they have not played Northwestern. They have not played St. Scholastica. But still, at 5-0, and even if uh, not world beaters not having played the best teams on their schedule, I didn't expect them to be 5-0 and at this point. Well, yeah, it's funny. You mentioned when you said teams that, that no matter what they do, 
uh, may not get any top 25 recognition among this this list of 34 unbeaten teams. Greenville was the one I, I thought you may be referring to. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, on Saturday they had one of those uh, finishes that uh, I guess got buried among all, all the other uh, big news on Saturday because, uh, you know, they methodically ran through, uh, you know, they, they beat Milliken by seven and then and then had, had really dominated their first three UMAC games. And then on Saturday against Crown, uh, they they score with four minutes and twenty seconds left to go up twenty one fourteen with a you know ninety four yard drive. They cover the length of the field and then give up an eighty four yard kickoff return and then Crown missed the uh, the 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 point after and uh, Greenville was able to hold on in that game and and just as Olivet goes to five and zero and Alma went to zero and five Greenville went to five and zero in that game and and Crown joined the list of thirty one or stayed on the list of of uh, winless teams which is now at at thirty one. Pat, I think uh, Greenville is 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 one of those teams on the list that won't get any uh, or won't. It would be tough for Greenville to break into uh, even also receiving votes just because, you know, Milliken and maybe, you know, like Northwestern or whoever or St. Scholastica, whoever else is competitive in the UMAC are going to be the only uh, results that that anybody pays attention to uh, from a you know national perspective over the course of the season, but there aren't too many more Pat on this list where as we get further down the season, uh, you know six, seven, eight wins, and they're still undefeated that uh, that that they wouldn't get any uh, recognition at all. For example, let's talk about Gallaudet. Uh, Gallaudet at four and zero. They've beaten Shenandoah, and now beating Shenandoah looks a, a heck of a lot more interesting this week after Shenandoah beat Bridgewater. Uh, they the you know big win against Rochester by more than three touchdowns, went up to Mount Ida and won seven to six. Um, so that means that you know they've played now the uh, the best team on their schedule. I think whether you think that's Shenandoah or Rochester, they've played them. They've played you know one of the best teams in their conference, and they have the other one coming to their place next week. Um, you know Gallaudet's top twenty five resume looks about as good as it's going to look, and I still think of you know I look at them beating. Mount Ida seven to six, and I think of what you know a very strong, obviously top twenty-five team did to Mount Ida in the playoffs last year. Yeah, the the West score, which I was maybe sixty-one twelve. I'm going off the top of the head there, but uh, or fifty-six six. Um, you know, it, it's true that that the ECFC doesn't play top twenty-five caliber football uh, right now at this point. And in but but we you know Gallaudet you do have a, a Gallaudet I'm going to start pronouncing it right since you used to work there you must know how to pronounce it I'll take the the U out of it there you go um, you know they they've beaten teams from legitimate conferences and you know winning uh, at Shenandoah beating Rochester so you know though and those teams have gone on to to beat other good teams so I think there is you know maybe some argument for uh, for for Gallaudet to get Gallaudet to get consideration but. You know, you're right. It's not going to help them help them later on the season. They beat Husson, they beat Becker, they they beat Anna Maria. That's not going to catch anyone's eyes. You know, the, the the thing to me that's that's interesting about the Bison is, uh, you know, they're they're just by being a member of this conference, they have to go up to Boston. A couple weeks later, that they go up to Castleton State in the northern part of Vermont. They play a team from Maine, but luckily they did come down to D.C. this year. They go up to Massachusetts and they have to go up to New York. So it, it's one of in the East Coast. 
you know, this is different if, if you're on the West Coast of D3 or if you're in Texas or in the, in the Deep South or used to having these long road trips. Uh, East Coast leagues are usually, you know, one state or contiguous states and the road trips are mostly bus trips. You don't see teams having to make these, these you know, 10 and 11 hour trips week after week very often. And, and the Bison have to do it by virtue of the league uh, they chose to be in. And that makes their schedule you know, slightly more impressive. Doesn't make a top twenty-five uh, resume, but it is kind of a neat little factoid, I guess. And in turn, it gives them at least the opportunity to make the playoffs and a chance to qualify via the automatic qualifier. Whereas, if they had, you know, not that they had been offered membership in any of these conferences, but if they had been in a conference that's more local, such as the MAC or the ODAC or you know something like that, they would have uh, a much uh, more difficult uh, chance of making the playoffs. And for Gallaudet, again, to be to be 4-0, uh, to be in the position that they're in, you know, compared to where they were when they had took their program back from club into Division Three status uh, six or seven years ago is pretty impressive. And this is a, you know, it's a program that's gone back and forth from club to intercollegiate a couple times over the last couple decades and had not had a lot of success until finding themselves a home in the ECFC where um, – you know, it's it's a lot easier to get a program back on its feet, and that's clearly what uh, Gallaudet is trying to do. That is, uh, that kind of gives us gets us through the the uh, couple of schools that don't have maybe a clear path to the top twenty five. Um, <clears throat> we were talking on the uh, if you follow the comments now that there are comments on the top twenty five page, they are the most interesting comments I think uh, on the site so far because you kind of see. People run the gamut. For example, people, someone last week asking about Ithaca. You know, why is you know, Ithaca's unbeaten? Well, yeah, Ithaca was one of 45 unbeaten teams. Catholic, for example, people were talking about. Those are schools with a clear path to the top 25. If Catholic had beaten Hampton-Sydney, um, they wouldn't have been in the top 25 uh, this week, but they would have been receiving a significant number of votes and might have been able to find their way there if they'd finished running the table in the ODAC. Similarly, Ithaca playing an Empire 8 schedule, clearly every opportunity to make the top 25. And there are a lot of other teams for whom that's the case as well, uh, who are either not getting votes or maybe only getting a handful of votes, but you know, that, that chance is ahead of them. Uh, for example, a team such as Chapman, who is, you know, relatively far off the radar for a couple of reasons. One is that we've, we're five weeks into the season. They've played only three games. Um, and they've, uh, you know, trounced all three opponents. They beat Puget Sound, they beat Whitworth and then they just crushed Whittier on Saturday night, 72-40. to 40. Chapman's unbeaten. Uh, they don't play Redlands until the last week of October, and they don't play Cal Lutheran until the last week of the season. But again, you know, Chapman, 6-3 and three last year, 5-2 and two in the Skyac. That's a team that, you know, very well could be decent enough to pick off one of those two opponents here between now and the end of the season. Well, Pat, you touch on the key point is that, you know, they get that chance later on in the season. And, and you know, it may not come till till November 16th or it may not come till October 26th against Redlands. Both of those games are at home. But, uh, you know, another reason sometimes we we tend to forget about Chapman is it, here on the East Coast, it is really late. Oh, yeah, really <laughs> when, when their games are, are getting done, which, you know, sometimes that means they're the only game still going on or there's only three or four games going on uh, at that time in the country and you can tune in and listen or watch. But 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 sometimes, you know, you're moved on with your Saturday night and you're ready to go to bed or something like that. And uh, they're still they're still having a, a score fest out there in California at Chapman. So it, it takes it takes a little bit to get on the radar. But really what, what I think it is, is, uh, you know, if you're not a, a traditionally very successful team 
you have to beat those very successful teams on your schedule. And, and you know, with the exception of the two teams we mentioned in Greenville and Gaudet, um, you know, everybody else on this list has some power teams coming up and they get that opportunity. And that and, and the same thing applies when it comes to the playoffs. They get the opportunity to get in by virtue of, of the automatic qualifier or by the Pool B bids. There's 32 bids and, and everybody has access to them. You mentioned, Pat, that, um, you know, some people don't necessarily get – the top 25 in the sense that, um, you know, you really, you, you really need to beat the good teams on your schedule to get top 25 recognition. And that's something I think that falls on us in a way to, to educate the, the folks who are new to D3 that, uh, you know, just to, you know, constantly remind people that there are 244 teams. All right. We, so we have a top 25, just like D1 has a top 25, but we have twice as many teams. So the, the, our top 25 is, is, is a really, really elite group. And it's, it's you know, maybe not what people are used to thinking of as a top 20, 25. You have to be not necessarily undefeated, as we, you know, we've talked about several times on the podcast, but you have to be well-tested, whether that means you know, being in a conference where you play tough teams every week or you go out and schedule tough teams in your non-conference schedule. And you have to, you know, sustain that success over the course of the whole season. I think that uh, actually this is one of the great things about Division Three compared to Division One is our playoffs are an exclusive club. Uh, now in in football, obviously we have playoffs, and, and Division One really doesn't, uh, at least not at the quote unquote one A level. So, um, aside from that, for a second, our top twenty five is an exclusive club. You know, again, as Keith mentioned, there are twice as many teams. Our our NCAA tournament in basketball is an exclusive club. Uh, you know, there's 68 spots and that's one for every five point something uh, teams in the division one tournament and in division three, it's more like it's closer to one for every eight. So I really like the fact that it's a little more meaningful to get recognized, uh, you know, and even though there's you know only a couple teams playing for the, uh, for the championship in Division One FBS football, there's a lot of teams playing in the postseason. You know, whether it's six and five versus six and six in the you know uh, Valley City Bowl in you know where Montana or whatever. You know, they're still playing in the postseason. Whereas for us, you know, you have to go nine and one basically or eight and one to get an at-large bid or win your conference. So I like the fact that it's a little more difficult to get in. If that means that we have to educate not only the new fans, but the fans of teams who are new to success in September, um, you know, then so be it. Uh, one of those teams that had some uh, that had a path in front of it that, frankly, I was kind of uh, uh, downplaying their chances. I think if we go through the last two or three minutes of the podcast from last week, I talked about uh, the Hartwick Ithaca game. I mentioned how Hartwick had only played Husson, Morrisville State and Becker so far. Uh, and they were going up against Ithaca and pff, well, Hartwick beat Ithaca. So Hartwick gets a couple of votes and, you know, Hartwick may not uh, last that long in the, in the limelight when they uh, play St. John Fisher, Alfred and Salisbury in the next uh, three weeks. But, you know, they did, uh, they got part one of the job done. Yeah. But that's what we love about it, Pat, that you get your chance to earn it, whether it's invitation to the playoffs, you know, your, your chance to get to the stag bowl or your chance just to win your conference, you know, or, or to get top 25 recognition, whatever it is that you're after, you know, you get a chance to earn it on the field and, and Hartwick certainly uh, opened eyes a little bit this week because yeah, you know, Hudson, Morrisville state and Becker, not a, a powerful lineup by any means, but, uh, but yeah, Ithaca, that's an eye opener. And it wasn't like they, they, 
know, fumbled their way into it. They, they, you know, got out to an early lead and held on to win that game 21, nine. And uh, yeah, St. John Fisher, Alfred Salisbury, the next few weeks, even Buff State and Frostburg after that, you know, t- those teams can put up points. So they, they've got a road ahead of them, but at four and they're, they're one of these teams in the group where you didn't expect the success, but they have a chance to sustain it. And we start paying attention to them as we go along here. Just like that, uh, additionally, the Bears of Ursinus College, 5-0. and uh, they're, uh, The Centennial Conference is a 10-team conference, so they play just one non-conference game. That was against TCNJ, which they won by a touchdown, well, by eight earlier in the season. They gave up 44 points to winless Moravian on Saturday. They're not a team that would be on my ballot until they play Johns Hopkins on November 2nd. But, you know, again... That's another team that's 5-0 and and has a path to the top 25 and a path to the playoffs, even if we don't uh, necessarily know what to think of them right now. Yeah, well, it's absolutely going to come down to to that, that November 2nd game in Baltimore against Johns Hopkins. Maybe the week after that, they play Muhlenberg. That may be their, their other big game, you know, tough game of the season. Um, they've already beaten Franklin and Marshall, which I think is their most impressive win to date. And, and you know, the rest of the wins... Uh, kind of shaky, not not shaky, but not that impressive. TCNJ, Gettysburg, uh, McDaniel, Moravian, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think Ursinus is one of those teams that's been knocking on the door for several years, and we see this. Pat, we've been around long enough to see teams cycle through or, or start to cycle up. And uh, you know, Peter Gallagher's been the, the coach for the Bears for for a while now, and with the exception of three and seven in two thousand eight, they've been an eight win team, seven win team, six win team, pretty much every season. And we we haven't seen them have that breakthrough yet. But you know, or you you know, you think maybe it's coming, and this may be the year. You get off to the the five and zero start. Uh, they have a bye week that coming up this week, so now they're they're. Uh, you know, refreshing themselves for this this second half run, they could be a team that's a factor. But nationally, top twenty five discussion wise, you know, it doesn't happen until they they play that Johns Hopkins game, and, and we see what happens there. And you know, Juniata was all, was was unbeaten, played Johns Hopkins on Saturday and lost sixty five ten. So you know, you have to do it against the good teams in your conference to get that recognition. Right, Juniata started off the season three and zero, and now they've lost back to back games to end up at three and two. Uh, Millsaps. 4-0, 1-0 in the uh, 1-0 in the SAA, the Southern Athletic Association, one of the conferences without an automatic bid. So that means they are in what, everybody? Yes, that's correct. Pool B. If you uh, said Pool B, then you can uh, stick around after the podcast and uh, help clean the chalkboard. But basically, they're in a position where they have to basically run the table to guarantee themselves a spot in the playoffs. Uh, the NCAA has, uh, committee has yet to leave a, an unbeaten team home out of pool B uh, that has never happened. It's uh, the only time it, it actually got close uh, that a, that a, a team, you know, that far down the list ran the table and, uh, and there was some question about them was when SUNY Maritime got in a few years ago and they got uh, blitzed by Alfred in the first round. Millsaps is not in that situation. 10 and 0, then they would certainly be in a position to, uh, to get that playoff bid, but what they have coming up. So they've beaten, well, so they've beaten Mississippi College, they've beaten LaGrange, they've beaten Point University out of Georgia, and then they uh, you know, held off Hendricks, I guess would be the way to put it, on Saturday. Then they have Trinity, Birmingham Southern coming up the uh, next two weeks, both of them on the road, and they have um, uh, they end the season with Rhodes, and Rhodes has looked pretty good this year as well. So I don't know if if they ran the table in the, against that uh, against that schedule, 
Maybe depending on what else happened, they'd, they'd be in the top 25, but more importantly, they would definitely be in the playoffs. Yeah, Pat, you know, you mentioned 10-0 and 0 pretty much being a guarantee, especially in Pool B, and especially this year where there, there's three bids for, for Pool B teams because so many uh, of the conferences, uh, you know, because all that conference movement, I guess, from a year ago, a year or two, two years ago, uh, has, uh, you know, taken down the number of automatic bid conferences. Um Nine and one, though, is no guarantee. We've seen that happen with with Case Western Reserve not necessarily being guaranteed a bid. Uh, we talked. To, I, I don't know if they ended up making, but that was a that was a topic of conversation last year. Um, whether they'd get get in at nine and one. There's been years when when you know one loss teams from Pool B can get in, but you're always Pool B was always competing w- with Wesley, you know, for the for the number one bid, and and now with the three. You know, I don't know exactly what it's going to take because there's so much more up in the air with the, with the MASCAC and the UAA. And as you mentioned, the SA, there's uh, there, there's there's so much more up in the air now, I guess. Um, you know, what we'll find out about about Millsaps pretty quickly here, because you mentioned, Pat, the next two weeks are on the road. They're actually on the road uh, the next three weeks, and, and it's Trinity, Birmingham, Southern, Sewanee. So I think we'll we'll find out pretty quickly, uh, you know, what they're made of. I think if you we had to pick those three Pool B teams today, five weeks through this season, I think we'd we'd obviously be looking at Wesley. Wesley's a no-brainer um, because of the strength of their schedule. Millsaps being unbeaten, uh, that helps them significantly, obviously. And then um, you know, I think we'd be talking about Rhodes or Framingham State. Rhodes just beat uh, um, Rhodes just beat the University of Chicago this weekend, so that uh, you know took the only unbeaten re- remaining unbeaten team out of the UAA, and the UAA is another conference that competes for those bids. Um, you know whether it's Framingham or somebody else who finishes with one loss in the MassCAC because that's the best that any team can finish in the MassCAC. Now there's no unbeaten teams left there. Um, and then also Texas Lutheran out of the SCAC. Those are the teams that are the contenders, at least as we sit right now. Uh, with three bids available, it's possible. It, actually, it's fairly likely that uh, a one-loss team will be will get in the field. Um, yeah, we're going to run out of unbeaten teams in Pool B at some point pretty shortly. Um, you know, but you want to be the right uh, the right eight and one team, the right nine and one team, because otherwise it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a battle, and and nobody wants to be leaving their season in the hands of, com- of a committee. No, and, and think about how good a move it was for Texas Lutheran to go from the American Southwest Conference. They announced in February 2012 they'd be leaving for, uh, for the SCAC. The SCAC becomes a, a non-automatic uh, bid conference but because uh, the five teams broke off and formed the SAA. So now you have a Texas Lutheran schedule where they don't have to play Mary Harden-Baylor every season. And... They, they uh, you know, they add Southwestern, a new program. And right now, the, the rest of their schedule doesn't look all that daunting. And we know it's a program that can put up points. It's been that way for, uh, you know, I guess since uh, since Danny Padrone took over as coach. But, you know, th- this uh, this past Saturday, they won at East Texas Baptist 64-41. They put up f- over 40 points in their first two games and had the, the game against swag, as I like to call them, Southwest Assemblies of God, uh, called off by lightning. So they're only 3-0 and right now. They could be 4-0. But the rest of the schedule does not look that that tough, to be quite honest. East Texas Baptist, Austin, Sol Ross State, Mississippi College, um, and then you got Louisiana College, Hardin-Simmons, Howard, and Howard Payne. At the uh, at the end of it, so that's a team that could very well uh, be, you know, the number two team out of Pool B after Wesley. 
Texas. Texas Lutheran basically plays the entire American Southwest Conference, which they just left, except for Mary Harden Baylor. So, yeah, they definitely find themselves with an easier uh, path, although a non-guaranteed path to the tournament. Um, is it? Yeah, I wonder which one is easier. Whether it's easier to try to go nine and one and with a loss to Mary Harden Baylor, basically guaranteed in the ASC, or try to go at this point it would be nine and zero rather than ten and zero. Uh, without playing Mary Harden Baylor at all, and then probably get matched up against Mary Harden Baylor in the first round or early in the tournament. You know, it, it's true though. There, there was a um, the past few years. It's been increasingly tough to get in as a Pool B team because there have been few Pool B bids, and suddenly with all the conference shuffling, you know, there's now three Pool B bids, and the teams who've moved into that group actually, a lot of them actually have an easier road to the playoffs than they did as an automatic qualifier a player in an automatic qualifier conference that had to go through some tougher teams. Let's talk about, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know that that TLU was ever, you know, better than fourth place in the American Southwest. They might be this year, I guess. We'll, we'll find out basically if you, you could pencil in the loss to Mary Harden Baylor and then just kind of slide Texas Lutheran into the ASC standings and see where they would have fit in. In the uh, Midwest conference, there's a couple of unbeaten teams, uh, who play each other this weekend, so that will help uh, help things shake out for us a little bit. I want to talk about the curious case of Lake Forest, who crushed Concordia of Chicago the first week of the season. Uh, Concordia of Chicago, who lost, I think, 75,223 players from their playoff team last year, as well as most of the coaching staff. Um, and they are uh, winless at the moment and uh, lost to Lake Forest in week one, 45-3. So that's a 42-point margin of victory for Lake Forest. The Rest of the season, they've won by one, by eight, by seven, and by one. And Lake Forest might be the most skin of its teeth unbeaten team on this uh, on this list. Yeah, Pat. And not only have they won those four uh, MWC games closely, but they've won it with a point total of fourteen, fifteen, fourteen, and fourteen. So they've they're, they're not scoring like mad, but uh, but but Coach uh, Jim Canzaro's team is uh, keeping it, you know. I don't want to just say keeping it close, but they're, they're figuring out how to win these close games. If, and if you don't have the offensive firepower, you know, you, you do it with defense, you do it with special teams and field position, whatever it takes to get wins. You know, 5-0 and is 5-0. and And, uh, and uh, you know, we know uh, Coach is a, uh, someone we run into on Twitter and, and uh, maybe a listener of the podcast even. Um, I think I'll be excited to see what they do uh, at Illinois College on Saturday because – you know the Blue Boys are the kind of the complete opposite profile—a a team that has a, a, a star quarterback in Michael Bates and that can just you know put up points. They, their first three-point totals are in the 40s, and then they uh, they won at Lawrence on Saturday, 26-6 in the lightning and rain. So I don't know if that was a factor as well. Um, I look forward to seeing that or seeing the result of that, and then I I uh, expect to be at Lake Forest uh, the week after that when they host Monmouth as you know just another one of those. Uh, anybody remember the uh, best road trips of 2013 from back at the beginning of the season. Uh, Lake Forest is in the middle of a three-game weekend for me where I start with uh, Whitewater hosting a game on Friday night and finish with Carthage hosting a game on Saturday night. So uh, expect to be at Lake Forest on that Saturday afternoon in between. And then we go out west for the uh, last kind of, I mean, so interesting about Pacific, I guess, is it? We necessarily think of them as a surprise unbeaten, I suppose, only because, you know, it was un, 
unlikely of them to go to Adrian and win that game the first week of the season. Otherwise, the rest of these games very winnable for them. Yeah, and you know the same thing we said about some of these other teams is that hey, you know, when you're building a program, you want to get wins, and it doesn't necessarily matter who they come against or how quote unquote quality they are. Yeah. You know, to to beat Occidental, to win at Men- at Menlo, to beat Whitworth. Uh, this season, that's all good for for Pacific because it's a young program, you know, revived only four seasons ago and four and zero now. But we'll see in a couple of weeks here, and more more really later down the road in November, we'll see exactly how much how big a stride they've taken forward, how good the boxers are. They're at Pacific Lutheran on October nineteenth. That's two weeks from now, so they'll. they'll most likely they'll, they'll they'll take care of Puget Sound this weekend, and then they'll have a big game coming up at PLU, and uh, and then Willamette and Linfield. And right now they're in the mix for being maybe the the third team in, in the NWC. You know, right now you'd have to put Linfield, Pacific Lutheran, and Willamette ahead of them. But Pacific, you know, maybe a team that uh, that that you know moves up the rank or or knocks somebody off unexpectedly here. Linfield, Pacific Lutheran, and Willamette actually also all on the D3Football.com top 25 this week. And the other thing I wanted to mention about Pacific is that, you know, this is a, this is that year for them to make a, a, a big step forward. Time after time, we have seen brand new programs, you know, build and then have a big surge in year four and then take a couple steps backwards in year five because that big senior class with all that experience has gone away and it's a little bit like starting over, although obviously not entirely because you don't have to start completely over from scratch. That's our run through the uh, surprise unbeaten teams. One of the teams that got uh, themselves knocked off this list was Christopher Newport on Saturday as they lost at Methodist. And, you know, I, I have to say from talking to Methodist coach CJ Goss for kickoff, Back at the beginning of the season, I had my thoughts that, um, you know, I guess I had my thoughts that Methodists might be in a position to take a small step forward. But one of the reasons I thought would uh, would would be a big um, addition for them was uh, Jordan Van returning to the USA South. He's a guy who was a quarterback for North Carolina Wesleyan and was a conference rookie of the year a few years back. Went tried to play football elsewhere, didn't work out. Came back. There was some talk that they might, uh, you know, uh, trade off possessions or trade off situations. But really, it's been Max Reber taking that position, holding it and, uh, you know, led them on a drive to win the game against CNU on Saturday. And it's hard to state outside of of USA South Country how big a deal it is to, to beat Christopher Newport. For whatever reason, even when other teams in that conference have risen up, it almost always seems to be the captain. Somehow that, that team that gets out in front loses a game and the captains win the, win the tiebreaker or they win late in the season and end up being the team that goes to the playoffs. I mean, ex- except for that year when North, North Carolina Wesleyan uh, beat Washington Jefferson in the first round. I, I'm not even sure I can think of uh, – there was a year maybe when, when Ferrum went to the playoffs in the first round and played Wesley. But it seems like it's always CNU's league no matter how good CNU is. You know, there was last season – CNU was six and four, and they made the playoffs because the rest of the league was was on a downswing. And so, with Huntington coming into the mix, and then CNU getting off to that good start by beating uh, Salisbury and Hampton Sydney, you know teams that are traditionally probably a cut above what you find in the USA South. 
you're thinking, man, the USA South is going to be pretty good this year, and it's only going to be an even better race because Huntington and CNU don't play each other, so we have no idea how this tiebreaker is going to play out. And then, you know, CNU goes down to, to North Carolina and loses to Methodist, and so it's sort of like the same old USA South again, except that, uh, you know, maybe Methodist is the team you have to watch out for. Um, I think there's only been one or two times that the USA South conference title has not been shared at the end of the season. There were a couple of times that Christopher Newport ran the table in the league, back in 2008 and 2011 and every other time it always seems like it comes down to a a tiebreaker of some sort at the end of the season at least potentially we may have dodged the bullet of having uh, both Huntington and CNU run the table since as uh, Keith mentioned they don't play each other and Huntington um you know a 3 and 1 overall 1 and 0 in the league that one loss again to Wesley and and Wesley uh, like last year, was on the ropes to Huntington and uh, again came back and won that game. And, and this is maybe Wesley's M.O., you know, because because sort of being independent by nature, they have to play this tough schedule. Uh, also because they are a nationally elite team, you know, perennial top five, top ten team. You know, you can't just not only, you can't just call somebody up and say, hey, we're, we're 100 miles from you, play us. You know, because nobody wants to take a loss. They don't want to add that that team to their schedule, get their team blown out, you know, 48-3 or something like that. So teams already don't want to play Wesley. They don't have eight built-in games like like a team in conferences do. So, you know, they they have to play this tough schedule. And luckily, um, because the teams, you know, a lot of these teams in, in the South that were new to D3 football also are new to conferences. Huntington had been independent until joining the USA South this year. So that was a natural matchup. Uh, for those two teams, uh, you know, they play these tough games and then Wesley will lose an early game somewhere along the line, uh, you know, wh- whether it's a team from the NJAC or or from the MAC or, uh, you know, in this case this year it was going down to Mary Harden Baylor for that big uh, new stadium opening and, and getting beat up pretty badly there. But they've bounced back pretty well the past couple of weeks, uh, Wesley has, and now they're in the, the point at the, of their schedule where they don't play a- any more D3 teams except for Rowan. Uh, in a couple weeks, uh, which is a short road trip and, and a good test for them. And then they'll play Alfred State the last week of the season. So uh, what I noticed from that game itself is that Huntington probably uh, a little better than than we'd given them credit for or they'd given themselves credit for when they talked to us for kickoff. Uh, didn't think this was going to be one of one of Huntington's best teams. And they looked, you know, every bit a match for Wesley but I thought Wesley, you know, just the playmakers that they have, guys like Steve Kadosu and uh, Sustin Capapula, you know, most teams don't have guys like that who you can go to in the clutch. And, and Wesley rallied from down 11 against Huntington for the second year in a row to pull that game out. And, and now I think Wesley, you know, except for this Rowan game, they're pretty much in the clear. Well, as the guy who also talked to Huntington this season, I can at least tell you that if you go back and kind of look through who they lost, they really lost a ton of guys at a very senior laden team last year. So, you know, for them to be uh, bearish, I guess would be, is that right about their chances? I'm not a stock market guy. I can never remember which is which. Uh, for them to downplay themselves a little bit coming into the season, I could certainly see where that would be a, a possibility because I don't think uh, they really knew exactly what they had back. Those seniors had so much playing time over the previous few years and they were being replaced by guys who uh, hadn't had a whole lot of playing time, at least not on the uh, on the varsity level. Um, we talked about some of the surprise unbeatens. There are obviously a lot of winless teams too, some of whom are surprising, some of whom are not. Um, 
there are a couple that I thought we should spotlight in uh, specifically. For example, we've talked a lot about how Alma has played this uh, you know crazy schedule with the um, with the exception of Lakeland, which was a winnable game for them, uh, and uh, they, their uh, their other three non conference games were against you know some pretty strong competition. You go uh, uh, <clears throat> you know another twelve hours west or so end up at Buena Vista out in Western Iowa and all they've played are, uh, let's see, let me get the uh, top 25 up at the same time here. So they have played, uh, number eight, Wisconsin Platteville. They've played number 22 Concordia Moorhead. They've played number five Bethel and they've played number 19 co and they're Owen four, which is, you know, maybe not all that surprising. And they, uh, so they lost to co 21 to seven on Saturday to drop to Owen four, but Buena Vista could very well be, a fantastic team for all we know they've just played some pretty tough competition so far sure you know if they were the 50th best team in the country they're still playing four teams that are ranked in the top 25 they may well go to Owen six pat in a couple weeks their next two games are at warburg and at central two of the traditional powers in iowa and uh, you know i got a, i got a chance to watch buena vista for uh way back in week one i guess for part of the the platteville game and they didn't they didn't. They weren't blown off the field. You know, they moved the ball on Platteville. I, they, they, I saw one drive where they they went down the field. It looked like they had a, they had a scrappy player at quarterback. But and, and they've been competitive. I think in in a couple of these games too. Um, the the Concordia Moorhead scores twenty one thirteen. Co this past weekend was uh, was twenty one seven. So it's not like they're they're getting blown off the field. They just have one of those really turn out to be unfortunate schedules. You know, I don't know when when Buena Vista made its schedule. They were necessarily fearing Platteville or or Concordia Moorhead. You know, those are just schools that were that were within driving distance and and maybe had an open date. And they've they've played each other for so long that they just keep that game. But it turned out in the same way that Alma's schedule turned out to be a, a real power schedule. And you know, it's hard to bounce back from that. You know, there's going to be a point in this season where. Buena Vista plays some teams. I think that it's better than you know Loris, Luther, Simpson, Dubuque are the are the final. Uh, four games, and I'm not necessarily saying they're they're better than Simpson or Dubuque, or you know that they can't beat Warburg or Central. But you get off to that 0 and 4 start, it's hard not to be demoralized. I, I think you know Buena Vista, Alma, and maybe Wisconsin Eau Claire have maybe the three toughest schedules that I've seen so far. And then there's DePaul, and I don't really you know I I think that with Bill Lynch coming back to coach them. Bill Lynch had led them to a successful season in his only season at DePaul uh, several years back. And I kind of just naturally assumed or believed that they would bounce back at least a little bit from the debacle that was last season where they were two and eight and one and six in the North coast. And um, yeah, they're not doing it. Uh, lost at Sewanee to open the season, got their doors blown off by Wittenberg. They're not going to be the only team that got their doors blown off by Wittenberg this season, but then they lost by two at Kenyon and they lost 42, 21 at Denison on Saturday. You know, and if you can't beat Kenyon or Denison, which are, you know, mid-level programs in the, uh, in the NCA. So, you know, maybe teams on the rise a little bit, you know, I don't know if Oberlin or Ohio Wesleyan or uh, I guess Allegheny at this point looks like it's a victory, but you know, you, you you don't know when, when they're going to get a win. And that's hard to believe because DePaul, just you know, two, three, three years ago, 2010, this was a team that went undefeated in the SCAC, moved to independent for a year, and then joined the NCAC. And Pat, I, I'm not, I don't want to necessarily speak for you, but I thought, uh, I would imagine most of us thought that was a move to an easier conference, and so that DePaul, if they're nine and two, six and zero, oh, 
in the SCAC having to play Trinity and, you know, Millsaps when it was a, when it was a tough program and having to play center when it was on the rise that they're, they're not going to have any problem. You know, all they have to do is, is, you know, split with their rival Wabash, beat Wittenberg, or, you know, and they will be a, a great team in, in that conference. And uh, it hasn't, it hasn't happened at all. And I think two of the most surprisingly not good teams in the country are uh, NCAC teams in, uh, in DePaul and Allegheny. When you uh, think about the NCAC versus the SCAC, uh, whether the conference overall is necessarily easy or not, uh, what I definitely think is the North Coast has more winnable games. You know, you uh, you could think in in most years over the last decade or so, um, if you were to show up to play Hiram or Kenyon or Denison, then you know you were going to be in pretty good shape no matter what. And you know they've already lost to uh, they've lost to Kenyon already. I think I didn't mention Oberlin in that list, but Oberlin's usually a, been a program that you could uh, pretty much pencil in a win against if you were a, a halfway decent program. And DePaul is just uh, DePa- DePaul's just struggling right now, and uh, you know looming ahead. Obviously, still many weeks down the line, that Monon Bell game where they have already lost four in a row in that rivalry and not looking like they're going to be in position to be competitive this year either. Yeah, Pat, you pointed out the the benefit of continuity for Pacific, right? When they get to the fourth year in the same program, these are guys all playing under Keith Buckley, and it started maybe freshman year, or sophomore year. They get three, four years under their belt. We we see those teams take that jump in year four. DePaul's case is kind of like the opposite. When you change coaches and you you know unexpectedly change coaches, you change coaching styles, schemes, all this stuff. It, it, it's hard to have that continuity, and we don't see teams very often have a lot of success when they go through this constant upheaval. You know, RPI maybe getting off to a good start this year is maybe the exception to that role, but even they sort of struggled as they were go changing coaches back and forth. And I just you just don't see that happen that often. And it, it, it's hard to believe at DePaul too, because I think probably at the time Nick Morosis retired, that was. A, a dream place for a, a career D three coach to end up. Well, and it took a long time, really, for the for the constant coaching changes to catch up with them. Um, the, it, it, but it got so bad, obviously, that you know you get to the point where last season they do something that you just almost never see in Division three. They got rid of their coach in the middle of the season. Uh, Robbie Long got uh, let go. Um, I don't even remember what week it was, but I think it was in September, right? Um, they had. Uh, you know, they just gotten off to such a bad start and it, it did not get better for them. But if you think of, you know, I couldn't even name all the coaches at DePauw in the last, uh, since Morosis left, uh, you know, you got Bill Lynch, uh, you got Matt Walker, who's now at River Falls. Uh, Scott Cernko was the interim guy there last year. And I only remember that because I have last year's team page up. Um, you know, Bill Lynch has, has been around and come back. Um, uh, I, I still feel like I'm missing somebody, right? We talked about Robbie no. Long. Matt Walker. I, I, well, I, Matt Tim Walker, Rogers. Robbie. Everybody remember uh, Tim yeah. Rogers? Yeah. I wouldn't have even remembered that. I had Robbie and, and Matt Walker and Bill Lynch, but I, you know, but that's that's what this program is lacking right now is just the continuity, and I'm sure that's had to, was part of the reason why they brought Bill Lynch back. You just, it, it's hard to sustain success if you're changing players all the time and if you're changing schemes all the time. And I think you know we've started to see it play out on the field. For DePaul over the past, I guess, 14 games, you know, in the sense of them going two and eight last season and being off to 0 and 4 start this year. 
And in college football, you have no choice but to continually change players because they graduate, especially in Division Three. We are running out of time, if you can believe it or not, as we're coming uh, you know, coming close to an hour into this podcast. And I thought we should just dive straight into the uh, to the lightning round, if uh, if that's okay with you. Yeah. I wanted to throw this one to you to get it started. You talked about in the wrap-up on Saturday about how Odaki the Odak was, and it was certainly very Odaki on Saturday. Yeah, you know, once you finally figure out, okay, this is going to be maybe a five-team race this year, and this is that's a lot for any conference. It, five is usually the you know the, the most you see in the Odak. We thought Guilford was going to be up this year. I think kickoff picked him to be seven seven and three. And, and then you saw the result on Saturday. Not only did Guilford beat the uh, defending champ, Washington Lee, but you had Shenandoah score this upset over Bridgewater, who looked like it may be the, the team this year. Then Randolph-Macon beat Emory and Henry. Hampton-Sydney won. So now, you know, I, no idea what to make of this this conference. And that's been the calling card for the ODAC the past few seasons, is that it, it may not send a power team into the playoffs, but it'll be a darn fun race from the start of October to the middle of November. That Adrian Hope game on Saturday, it just... For Hope to even be in a position to win the game after their quarterback goes four for twenty-three, yeah, uh, I thought it was four for twenty-five. Even, even and and yeah, it even was better. A, it was a one-score game uh, at the end of that game, and and, and uh, Hope was was looking to remain unbeaten, if I recall correctly. And it just was a was a tough day for Michael Atwell. But Adrian has, has pretty much been a good defensive team for the past several seasons, and uh, that, that's not all that surprising even seeing it from afar. I'll talk about the Bethel Augsburg game, which I was at. And then I want you to talk about the Linfield Pacific Lutheran game, which I think you paid a little more attention to than I did. Um, the Bethel Augsburg game, uh, you know, tied at the half. Bethel had a great third quarter. Augsburg went three and out, then turned the ball over. Didn't really do much of anything. And then Augsburg uh, with a flurry in the final 12 minutes of the game uh, gets to the point where Bethel has to cover an onside kick, but you know, Bethel escapes that one, but then they have to play at Concordia Moorhead and they also play St. Thomas in the next two weeks. Yeah, I think the the big takeaways for me from Linfield Pacific Lutheran uh, were, were one, it was a 7-0 game going into the fourth quarter. So PLU was right there. I ended up losing that game 29-0 and uh, it probably could have been worse than that because they just started turning the ball over in the fourth quarter. Linfield you know, defensively pinned its ears back. And, and I, I think that's the other takeaway for me is that Linfield is darn good defensively. They haven't given up a meaningful touchdown since the first quarter against Cal Lutheran three games ago. They shut out Case Western Reserve last weekend in Cleveland. They come back and play, you know, a team that was well-tested, obviously a, a top 25 team and uh, and a team that, that knows – it as well as any other team in the country. I mean, Pacific Lutheran and Linfield, they're not going to show each other anything that the other team hasn't seen. So it all comes down to, to, to execution and who's got it on that day. And Linfield, to their credit, when their offense couldn't get anything going, the defense never let PLU get anything going. And then they uh, ended up with uh, with three interceptions on uh, Pacific Lutheran drives in the fourth quarter, ended up with four turnovers, four sacks of Dalton Ritchie, and just a, uh, a pretty dominating day. I think they only let up uh, 1.8 yards per carry as well. So uh, Linfield, I think right now, you know, their calling card is probably that defense. And that's one of the reasons why they're one of the top three teams in the country. The uh, the sad situation at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy where these guys are just sitting, they're not even in class, uh, all the professors furloughed, 
uh, all the coaches furloughed. Uh, unlike the D1 service academies, which are part of the Department of Defense, and unlike Coast Guard, which is in the Department of Homeland Security, Merchant Marine is, is, uh, reports up to the Department of Transportation, which has a different definition of what it deems essential personnel compared to everybody else. And so here's the thing. They don't get to play. They didn't get to play on Saturday. They might get to play RPI on November 2nd. Who the heck knows at this point? But you know, you think about uh, they didn't play that game. They might not get to play at Rochester on Saturday. I don't see – I'll, I'll let the Washington guy on this uh, conversation talk about Washington uh, after I'm done talking about football for a second. But I don't know if they're going to get a chance to play on Saturday. University of Rochester, this is their homecoming. They're looking for another team to play. And by the way, Alfred State is available. They're off this week, and they have games to give because they didn't have a full Division three schedule, this being their first year as a uh, four-year college. Uh, with football. So, uh, and, and one more thing, Merchant Marine now basically has no real opportunity to tell its story. Uh, I talked to Mike Toop uh, middle of the week last week, and uh, I get the impression that that might be the only interview that he would be allowed to give because, um, you know, he was, uh, I, I, I have heard that he was told not to talk to anybody else. So hopefully I, we didn't get in too much trouble, but had to get their story out because it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, what's happening there. They're the only team that's been affected uh, in this way in football by the shutdown. Right. Pat, the thing to me about this that, that stands out and I was on the, on in the huddle earlier on Sunday with, with Frank Rossi and uh, James Baker talking about this is we've seen teams lose games before um, for unexpected reasons, you know, what hurricanes and, and national tragedies and, and they don't play on Saturday or, uh, or, or, you know, some, some kind of, you know, there could be medical reasons or something like that. But you never see some. This is just it was preventable. And it, it's just bu- the phrase they used on in the huddle was was bureaucratic anomaly. It's just because Coast Guard was is under Department of Defense. Merchant Marine is under Department of Transportation. One team gets to play. One team can't. It doesn't serve any purpose to keep these teams from playing. And to 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 I know they have to follow rules and the, and the chain of command. Um, and so if if they can't report to work, you know, then they can't they can't volunteer to coach. But it's just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything for anybody. And to be honest, if it was just this one week and they could move the game with RPI to November 2nd, it's a story with a happy ending. But I don't see it ending anytime soon, and I don't think Merchant Marine is just going to end up losing one game here. I think they're going to lose a significant portion of their season. The question is, if they are able to come back and play, whether it's late October or November or, or whatever the case may be, you know, what kind of what what kind of team are they going to have? What are they going to be like if if they're out of school, not just out of practice for a few weeks, but out of school? They're not going to class, not seeing each other, all that stuff. What are their games going to be like if they are able to get back and play? And then look at all the um, residual or collateral damage, you know, that that happens to RPI and Rochester and and everybody else in the Liberty League by this happening to Merchant Marine. Indeed, RPI did not have a football game for its homecoming. Rochester might have to scramble to do the same. And here's the, the thing that bothers me the most is that you know, there's no, there's not going to be any major media coverage of this. There's nobody fighting for these guys at this point to get back on the field. And there's no, nobody, you know, lighting a fire under the Department of Transportation to make anything 
happened there. So we're, uh, you know, we could keep talking about it here in Division Three, but I'm not sure that we can uh, manage to change what goes on in Washington. Call your congressman. Uh, so the other thing we wanted to talk about here as we wrap up was the uh, was the NESCAC. We now got three games underneath our belts here in the NESCAC, so there's a little bit of uh, you know data here to talk about. Uh, for example, Williams 0 and 3. Uh, compared to Wesleyan three and zero, if you had any question, I guess as to whether uh, Williams was more like Mike Whalen as head coach or more Williams as an institution, we're kind of learning something here, aren't we? Yeah, and and you know you you hate to to knock a a new you know a new coach in that way, but it does seem that Williams is is backsliding pretty heavily here, and and what that means is it opens the door for for some of the other teams to come up in the NESCAC and I think Wesleyan and Bates are now you know programs that actually you know win more than a handful of games or that that teams actually worry about you know we've seen Middlebury rise up that rise may have started a little bit before the period that we're talking about here but I think right now the most surprising thing to me in the NESCAC which is you know a 10-team conference got three unbeaten teams three winless teams through three weeks Amherst Trinity Wesleyan the unbeaten teams you would think out of that group that that Trinity is far and away the best team, just because of the history of it. That that's a you know not only eight and zero in the league last year, but mo- you know pretty much every season six, seven, eight wins uh, in that conference. And and eight wins is is every game in the NESCAC. In case you're not familiar with the conference, it's only an eight game schedule that they play, no playoffs. So eight and zero is is impressive. The thing that that stands out to me right now is that Trinity is uh, is sort of just getting by. Uh, they're three and zero, and it's an impressive three and zero. But if Williams is zero and three, and they only beat Williams twenty to thirteen, you know that's not the dominant Trinity that we know. You know they beat Bates twenty eight seventeen. I got a chance to watch a portion of that game, and, and they had to get some some turnovers in the fourth quarter to put that game away. And that's not a bad thing. You know they're, they're still three and zero, and and they're still going to be in the mix here uh, going forward. You know they got Tufts and Bowden coming up, so they 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 may get right pretty quickly and they don't play Amherst until November 2nd Wesleyan uh of course is their traditional last game of the season but um I thought I I was voting for them in the poll uh, at one point during the season and I've I've pulled that vote over the over the past couple of weeks with just seeing the score and so I don't know which NESCAC team is is the dominant um or is going to be the great NESCAC team and we'll have to watch this race sort of going forward uh, our quick swing through Triple Take, where we talk about uh, what we hit on and what we missed on last week. This is going to be a super quick because we're, you know, we're already over an hour. Uh, game of the week. I think if your game of the week means that there were three quarters in which the game was close, I think we all hit. Two of us picked Pacific Lutheran, Linfield. The other picked Augsburg, Bethel. Surprisingly close. Ryan picked Kalamazoo at Trine. Not only was it surprisingly close, Kalamazoo won. I think we can count that. Uh, Eau Claire at Platteville uh, was certainly surprisingly close for three quarters. And then Olivet at Alma. Well, yeah, that was that went to overtime. It doesn't get much closer than that. Most likely top 25 team to get upset. upset. Bethel got close, and the other two of us picked Delaware Valley. They lost. Whether that was necessarily an upset is another question. Uh, they'll be on your radar. I, 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 it's a shame, actually. That's a pretty good game uh, between DelVal and Lyco, which we just completely glossed over. But uh, we've written about it elsewhere, or at least there are game stories about it, and you can uh, find a little bit more there. Teams that'll be on your radar. Yeah, it's hard to be wrong about that, as we've mentioned last week. I just wanted to point out that um, 
I called Ms. Recordia to uh, to win the first game, pick up their first win in program history, and they got all the way to double overtime before they lost to King. So it's about as close as it gets there. The team they South, almost had that one. Yeah, well, you know, it got me to pay attention to that game, right? And uh, it's the that's the most uh, the most Twitter activity I'm sure we've thrown out there on uh, a couple of winless teams. So there you go. Team most likely to salvage a bad season: Salisbury. Yep. River Falls, no. Monmouth, no. They did not win. Uh, they made it close against St. Norbert, their traditional, uh, not traditional rival, but their. Uh, it used to be for a long time the de facto uh, Midwest Conference title game, and it is no longer such. As we mentioned about you know thirty forty minutes ago, Lake Lake Forest and Illinois College now the uh, big game in that conference. A conference opener you like? Loris at Luther is what I picked. I no longer like that game. So I was wrong. I, I picked a yeah, conference opener I didn't like. It was forty-one. It was forty-one-seven. So yeah, it wasn't much to like there. Uh, the other games were pretty good. Well, Emory and Henry at Randolph-Macon was only good if you went to one of those schools and it <laughs> won forty-five <45-20. laughs> twenty. I don't know who that would be. Which fighters will win their battle this week? Give give a point to Ryan for Dubuque. Um, give a point to Keith for Millsaps, and then I have to look up to see what Maritime did. SUNY Maritime. There we go. They beat Anna Maria 35-24. to 24. So that's your uh, run through triple take. And then we have to just sprint through next week's games. Week six. We have Bethel and Concordia Moorhead already mentioned. Hobart at Springfield. Uh, Oshkosh hosts Lacrosse. Oshkosh struggled a little bit at Stout, uh, especially late in the game. Um, Lacrosse has uh, really struggled this season only because they've played a pretty outstanding schedule. Um, let's see. Stout uh, then goes to Whitewater, uh, Mount St. Joseph to Franklin. Franklin comes uh, back from its bye week. Uh, did we miss them pasting somebody by 75 points? No, we did not. Didn't happen. Ohio Wesleyan at Wabash, Denison at Wittenberg, St. John Fisher at Hartwick, game of at least one surprising unbeaten. And uh, the way St. John Fisher played Saturday, they were in position to not be in that on that unbeaten list. W&J lost to Bethany on Saturday. They host Thomas Moore. Um, Keith, man, it doesn't look like anybody's going to be stopping Thomas Moore the way they've been playing right now. And, and it's the way they've been playing defense that's been impressive. I think the three most impressive teams right now on defense nationally are Linfield, which we talked about, John Carroll, which we haven't talked about, but uh, they pitched a, a big shutout on Saturday uh, against Capitol, and Thomas Moore, I think, is the other one, not giving up any points. And, and you know, W&J, you mentioned coming off a loss against Bethany, traditionally a lower, lower-tier team in the pack. How are they going to score on Thomas Moore? Bridgewater at Hampton, Sydney, Alfred at Ithaca, Buff State at Salisbury, WPI at Union. Now we're to the point where I almost just pick out uh, lines at random uh, and hope that they make sense. Stevens Point at Eau Claire. Eau Claire still trying to find a way to win a football game. Augsburg at St. John's. That's a game that's had some uh, had a pretty dramatic ending the last time this game was played on that campus. Yeah, and and you know now those teams each picking up a, a loss in conference. Um, they're trying to keep pace with Bethel and with St. Thomas. And Carlton at McAllister in a non-conference rivalry. You know, I don't even know who McAllister will continue to play. Next year, McAllister goes to the Midwest Conference. 
they will have uh, one non They'll have two non-conference uh, dates. I know that next year a lot of Midwest Conference teams are planning on filling that second date with other Midwest Conference teams, and I'm just going to state for the record, not in favor of that. That's that's never good. Play a non-conference game for your non-conference games. Maybe that's all I have to say about that. Um, did you want to say something about that? No, I, I think you pretty much nailed it. Uh, I think it's a good fit for McAllister, though, uh, competitively. Yeah, they should be uh, they should be happy uh, being in a position to fill out their schedule, if nothing else, and play with uh, those quote-unquote like-minded institutions. So that's the Around the Nation podcast for the week of October 7th. Don't forget lots of other stuff on the site this week. Uh, Keith will write at least uh, one or two around the nation things. If you missed his snap judgments on Sunday, go back and read that because there's actually things there that we didn't talk about here and vice versa. Uh, We will have the uh, nominations are due for D3Football.com Play of the Week by 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday. So get us those videos. Uh, We prefer the video files. We really like video with audio. We know the uh, huddle strips out the audio. If you guys ever have a raw version with audio to send us, it would sound so much better, just just for the record. Um, even with just the the, the uh, natural crowd sound and, and game sound on it, we really prefer that. Uh, for SIDs, nominations for the D3Football.com Team of the Week, that's our weekly honor roll. They're due at 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Uh, you'll see the uh, post-game show here at the bottom of the page here on this site on the blog and then also on the front page later on the day on Monday. We'll have Around the Region columns on Tuesday and all the rest of the news and coverage to get you up to triple take on Friday and week six of the Division Three football season coming up on Saturday. Thanks for listening. Do you want me to keep that in there? No, my voice cracked. I don't think you should do it. <laughs>